On this week's very special episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla chief designer Franz von Holzhausen joins me for his second interview on this show. Our almost hour-long discussion covers the Cybertruck, next-gen Roadster, the new Model S, and much more. Plus, after the interview, I'll talk about Tesla's huge across-the-board price cuts that happened this week as well. Stay tuned. Happening, friends. I'm Ryan McCaffrey here with you for episode 389 of Ride the Lightning, the weekly Tesla unofficial podcast for January 15th, 2023. And as you've already figured out by now, this really is an extra special episode of this podcast because opportunities like this do not come around very often. Franz von Holzhausen, the chief designer at Tesla, will be coming up here in just a moment. We have a 50, I think, 54 minute interview. Uh, that we conducted this past Wednesday, January 11th, at the Tesla Design Studio in Hawthorne, California. I was delighted to take the quick trip down from my home base here in the San Francisco Bay Area down to see Franz. I had a wonderful time chatting with him. I want to thank Franz and thank his team for making it happen, for being super accommodating. They even, they let me come into the conference room and set up 30 minutes ahead of time because I had all kinds of stuff, you know, my laptop, my mics, all that stuff. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy this interview. A lot of ground is covered. The Cybertruck, a little bit on the next-gen Roadster, some talk about the new Model S and the redesign there, and a whole lot more. There are time codes in the episode description if you'd like to just jump to anything, any specific topic that Franz talks about. And if you're new to Ride the Lightning, number one, welcome. Number two, uh, I have a couple of other special episodes that I'd like to point you towards if you enjoy this one. First, I'll just mention episode 220, because that was Franz von Holzhausen's first appearance on this podcast, the first time I got to interview him. That was in November of 2019, a mere couple of weeks before the Cybertruck unveiling. And then by happy coincidence, the big milestone episode 200 was when I had Elon Musk on this podcast for a one-hour interview. So feel free to check those out if you're interested. But in the meantime, let's do this new interview with Franz. Check it out. Enjoy. I am back at the Tesla Design Center here in Hawthorne, California, with the chief designer himself, Franz von Holzhausen. Franz, thanks for having me back. Great to see you. You yeah. are the first, I think, repeat guest on, wow. on this podcast. Uh, it's also my first time back here since the Cybertruck event, the Cybertruck unveiling, which okay. took place feet from us. Yeah, yeah, just around the corner. Just over here. And, you know, I want to start there because this we're in 2023. It's the year of the Cybertruck. And I'm going to get... I'm gonna, I want to start by nerding out with you on this a little bit, sure. because I know there are some things you might not be ready to answer, but I'm hoping there are some things <laughs> that you are. So I went to the Peterson Auto Museum, saw the Tesla exhibit. It's awesome. I've recommended all my listeners go at some point between now and October, because it's. I don't think we're ever going to see all of that stuff in one place like that ever again. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, arguably, it's a great 
recap of you know the 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 seemingly short history of Tesla and yeah you know when you're when you're in the thick of it and like we are and you're racing through and we're you know continually developing and expanding and creating new stuff um, sometimes you forget to look back and even just walking through there and being a part of like helping them put the exhibit together and curating a lot of those things it was just great to to take a step back for a second and remind ourselves like where we've come from and our journey and how far we've progressed so was, was most of that stuff just under a car cover collecting dust in this we, building we've col- we've collected and kept it because we felt we needed to preserve history on yeah. some level not ever really knowing how we were going to what we were going to do with it how we were going to do it um, and then just in conversations with the peterson <clears throat> they're amazing um, we kind of came up with this idea to, to do a little, um, you know, showcase of the Tesla history, and and um, luckily we had most of the stuff intact. Um, so, yeah, I think just it's 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 always good to hang on to a little bit of history, and you never know where it's where it's going to go. And I think that it's been great to put it all together in one space. And like you said, it's a really concise um, way of walking through the history. And I, you know, it's. Now that we've expanded globally, it's hard to imagine like all that stuff coming together again. Yeah, um, you know, maybe we'll have to do our own. <laughs> I've day, advocated but, for that very thing. I yeah. really think for the the history of the electric vehicle, all of that stuff should be on a permanent display somewhere. The original. Yeah, and what's nice you know, about the one Roadster and exactly. the original silver Model Three prototype. All what's nice about cool. what they did at the Peterson is it really does talk about the evolution of the EV from you know early 1900s all the way up through what we've been able to do so it's it's not just tesla so i'm sure by design if you, the, the really the, the the finale of of the exhibit is the cybertruck alpha prototype that sits there on display while work goes on at giga texas to get ready for the production version and there is so uh, you and I have talked before. Of course, you know I'm a former DeLorean owner. That car is near and dear to my heart. You've talked about how you love wedge-shaped yeah. cars. There is an original design sketch of yours that is blown up, hanging above the Cybertruck prototype at the museum. That, to me, <laughs> somebody that looked at a DeLorean in his garage for 12 years, it looks awfully DeLorean-like, Franz. It's got, of course, the stainless steel in the, in the sketch, but then the, the black trim running along the belt line, the way the... Uh, the, the way you drew the vault cover kind of looking like the rear louver sunshade on a DeLorean. So as, as someone that loves that car, and that car means a lot to me, were you directly inspired in some way by the DeLorean for the Cybertruck? Actually, no. No. And I think in, you know, it could be like um, horoscopes where you read the thing and you're like, oh, yeah, that could apply to me. Yeah. And maybe you're, <laughs> you're reading into it because of your love affair with the DeLorean. Yeah. Um, the DeLorean was, you know, I think a really interesting vehicle, obviously, and there's a lot of similarities, but it was not a direct inspiration, although probably peripherally sure. it popped up on a screen or it was in a, in a page of a book or something while we were in the process. I mean, you did have one at the Cybertruck unveiling. Yeah, yeah because which... we actually, at, you know, we, we worked with the Peterson to bring some of those exhibits over, and we thought it would be fun to have some of the wedgie type cars yeah. um, that they had over there over and I think also just you know like the Blade Runner cars and, and get, getting into the spirit and the mindset um, yeah well I remember but because all that stuff the, for people that weren't there all those 
pieces that you're talking about were, were sort of outside yeah. before the unveiling. Yeah, nobody knew what in, the truck looked yeah, like. Yeah, we didn't know what the Cybertruck looked so like. So we and, were trying to like set a tone <laughs> and, and, and get, a, get a mindset going. Um, I think it worked. Yeah, well, I remember going, seeing the DeLorean going, this doesn't fit in with any of this stuff. Why is there an 80s pop sure. culture car? Because it was a Back to the Future kitted version. That right. was, And then, of course, when the Cybertruck comes out, it all makes sense. And so at the Peterson, I was able to really kind of study the, the stainless steel of the Cybertruck prototype up close. And this is what I talk about when I, when I warn you that I'm going to get real nerdy. This is it. So the DeLorean has a... It, the, the stainless is grained. It is, it is yeah, like along the direction. Yeah, it's a brushed stainless steel. So the, the Cybertruck prototype didn't seem to have as sort of clear and obvious of, of a pattern. And I'm curious if, that's, if the, the prototype is representative of the final truck in that regard. And the reason I ask that is because with a DeLorean taking a scratch out, you take a heavy-duty Scotch-Brite pad, you just kind of blend it with the grain, and the scratch is gone. But since there's not sort of a direction to go on, on the Cybertruck prototype, I'm curious if it's going to be, if you're really going to be able to blend out the, any scratches easily. So that's, yeah, that's we, the nerdy stuff I'm talking about. We spend a lot of time developing a finish yeah. that can be... Um, if if the, you know, the, the stainless is incredibly hard. So yeah. if in the event that there is a scratch... We do have a process that you could um, yourself basically buff it or, or uh, remove the scratch as well uh, and, and return to the basic finish that's on the stainless. So it's a different process. Yeah. It's not the same as like the brush finish on a refrigerator or a, stain, or, right. or a DeLorean or something, but it, it, there, it, there is an intentional finish that we apply to it, yeah. So that, that one and it is able to be you know cured or fixed or whatever Excellent. in the event that you know it's going to be something pretty intense that does actually scratch the surface. Like uh, well, I did notice uh, the, a scratch from an intense event that you can see where where your sledgehammer. Right. <laughs> if you look door. really close, you can just <laughs> see it. But <laughs> um, back in the early '80s, I'm, I'm going to stay on the stainless here for a minute because it's just it's so fascinating to me. Again, you. Know, you you're right, I'm applying my personal experience, but the fact is the first company to do gullwing-like doors on a production, mass production vehicle since DeLorean is you guys. The first company to do a stainless steel body on a production car since DeLorean is now also you guys. So there are some, just okay. as, as a DeLorean guy, there are these bizarre <laughs> little parallels that yeah. obviously are relatively coincidental. Yes, coincidental, but, that's interesting. Um, there, there is another little thing, a little tiny piece of DeLorean history where before the company went under, in the early 80s, DuPont was tinkering with a, a tinted clear coat to, to apply to the stainless that would kind of give it a color besides just the silver of stainless steel, sure. but let the grain of the stainless show through. Ha, has anything like that been sort of considered along the... Well, I think you know the stainless is already incredibly hard and doesn't need a another finish. We've sure. experimented with some finishes, but purely are, as a cosmetic thing, I'm talking about. Yeah, we've experimented with some finishes. Yeah, um, I think the you know there's always the opportunity to wrap. Um, yeah, and you know the thing that we wanted to do is to continue to preserve the hardness. And anytime you put something softer like a clear coat or a painted finish on the material, it just then basically takes away from the idea of putting the hardest thing on the outer surface. Right. So 
Yeah, a um, lot of DeLorean owners have found out the hard way that if you attempt to paint stainless steel, three, four, five years down the road, you're going to yeah. be washing the car and exactly. you're going to find some paint chips it just doesn't doesn't stay yeah doesn't but, stay. i mean the, the original mindset behind the stainless was put the hardest thing on the outside yeah. and not the most fragile thing you know and a painted surface is generally you know even though they're pretty tough it's still the most fragile part of um the exterior of the car so you know we wanted to really avoid that we we have played around with some finishes um but right now the stainless is the is the winner and and i've i've told everybody who listens to my podcast like just just leave it because it's it is the most unique thing. You know, you've had the privilege of seeing it in the sun sure. and, and also under nighttime lighting. The way it just it, it has it reflects light so differently yeah. than a painted car. It just kind of glows at night. Yeah, it's and that's an intentional beautiful. finish where we took the the you know the the glossy sheen down a level yeah. with the with the finish that we're applying to it, um, and which is repeatable. And uh, I think. You know, like you, you you mentioned, allows you to get rid of you know mars and scratches and things like that in the event that that happens. There's one other little Delorean thing I want to bring up, and then I'll move There's on. More? I promise. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> flux capacitor. <or> something? <laughs> Not that, but so Delorean Motor Company offered. Of course, they didn't last, but they offered 25 year body warranties on the stainless steel as sort of a vote of confidence that yes, this is designed to last a long time. You guys are taking that to the next level with. The, the thickness and the hardness of this stainless compared to, you know, a DeLorean, it's a very light, thin panel right. to try and keep the weight down. Right. So can we expect a sort of similar crazy long warranty on the body itself for the Cybertruck? I don't know. I would imagine um, it's maybe not required, but yeah. that's something we can definitely look into for it sure. It makes sense. I'm just sort of curious. Um, all right, let's get into, there, there's an Easter egg on the Cybertruck prototype that until the Peterson exhibit, I didn't know about it, and I'm not sure anybody knew about it. And that Let's see is, if I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I should hope so. On the charge port, uh, which I believe has since moved on, to, on future prototypes, which I'll ask you about next, but the, the, the light-up Tesla T logo that, that's the charge indicator on the Cybertruck original prototype is cyberfied. There are no round... Right edges on it it's all it's all sharp it's just this like tesla it's cyberfied tesla t is that cool little easter egg going to make it to the final production cybertruck i think you'll have to wait and see i mean that <laughs> that that thing was you know we, we were looking at um in those development days when we were designing the truck you know it, it was such like a low resolution low bit um idea in, in its kind of simplicity of a, as a form, we, we, we thought like this 8-bit concept. And so yeah. we did an 8-bit version of the T. And that's, that's, I think, one of the only logos that's actually on the car if, as so, well. Well, if it doesn't end up <clears throat> making it on the physical charge port, I hope it's like in the UI somewhere. It's just it's so cool. By the way, can, yeah. we, can we also get a T-shirt on the Tesla shop of that cyberfied Tesla T? Yeah, logo? sure. Let's, that's look, let's do that. It's yeah. really cool. For anybody that hasn't seen it, you can just probably find it on Google Image Search. Um, did you expect the reaction to the Cybertruck that that I think was generally the, the general reaction was, "Oh my God, I hate it!" And then there was this twenty-four to forty-eight hours, sometimes a little shorter for some people, sometimes a little longer, to to then coming around to, "Oh my gosh, I completely love it." For me personally. I, I will admit to you as we sit here, hopefully it won't get me kicked out. 
I did not like it at first. When it came out, I thought, oh no. But uh, starting with the stainless steel and sort of the, the function, it completely won me back over to where I love it and I have a reservation and I'm looking forward to buying it. So one. the function is what won you over or? The, the f well, I'll be honest, as a DeLorean guy, it started with the stainless steel. Okay. I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing a stainless steel vehicle. Right. And then as, as I thought about it more of, well, this, I could, my wife and I could buy this and it could last 20, 30 yeah. years. Because uh, having owned a DeLorean, I, I, the, the car was, I think, 30 years old when I sold it and it looked brand new because the, the finish right. was perfect. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't it's age, the it plastic, doesn't rust. It the doesn't, plastic ages, right? That's the hard part. Yeah, that, that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those things you gotta take care of just like anything, any other rubber pieces and things like that. But, uh, the, but the Cybertruck's the same way where okay, it's, it's gonna be resistant to door, like I'm really picky about my cars. If my Model 3 were here, you'd probably have a hard time, well, you probably wouldn't have a hard time. Most people would probably have a hard time realizing it's a 2018 with 50,000 miles on it. Cause I just, That's I'm great. really meticulous about it. I love it. that. <laughs> and, and with the Cybertruck, I, I know from personal experience how easy stainless steel is to care for. Mm -hmm. You just soap and water and you're done. Yep. If you could, you could spray the whole thing down with Windex sure. and a paper towel yeah. if you want to. Uh, so yeah, it, was, it started with the stainless for me and sort of the, the longevity and the, the ease of the care. And, and I came around on the look of it too. I just, I love now that it's completely, a, it's a total paradigm shift of a design. And I, I heard from so many of my podcast listeners that, and they have their own little specific reasons, but a lot of them went through the same thing of, I hate this, to sleep on it for a night or two, to, oh, I, I can't wait to get one and I have a reservation. So I also think, were you expecting that? I mean, I didn't 100% know what to expect. I knew we had something good. And the more that we lived with it, the, the, the more comfortable you get with it and the more it, it had the, the elements that you would look for in, in you know, something more masculine in a truck. Yeah. Um, even though it was sim simple, it still had this kind of brute stance to it. Um, it had a, a character that had a toughness feeling. Obviously, the material makes it tough, but there was, you know, in the stance, there was also a toughness. So it, so I think, and also just as we worked on it and we saw more people getting comfortable with it, um, it felt like it just is so different. It needs a moment to grow on you. Um, yeah. It's like the first time you hear a song, sometimes it can be grating or, or like you're not sure if you like it. You listen to it three or four or five times and suddenly it's your favorite song. And you just need to, because it's so new and fresh, you need to get comfortable with it. And I think this, like, it just is so radically different than expectations, first of all, um, and than anything that's out there. Um, and I think, you know, the, if you think of, like, when the, the Countach first hit the scenes in the early 70s, like, it was so radically different than anything. And, and I think that just creates a polarizing moment. Yeah. And then as you live with it and you start to understand like, wow, this is like, it actually works, it functions, it's different, but it's so unique. And suddenly you want to be part of that kind of uniqueness. Um, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's like when you're creating something, you never really know what the reaction's gonna be. I think we've worked really hard as a team 
at Tesla to make sure that all of our products have you know some sort of allure and captivity and and, and character that you know I think people can be um, feel really good about owning and putting in their driveway or in front of their house or or whatever and feel confident in their purchase yeah, just from think- a style perspective and I think you know Cybertruck is radical so it touches on like the uniqueness uh, but it's a hundred percent functional if not more functional than any of the other incumbents so in that sense we wanted to make sure that we didn't do something that was radically different but couldn't stand up to the test the true test of the you know why people really buy a pickup truck yeah i I think it's safe to say uh would you agree that no other probably no literally no other car company on the planet would have greenlit that thing yeah and i think you know the, the interesting thing is that we were going through exercises as well in the early development phases where we were looking at, you know, more normal kind of silhouettes and realizing, like, we have an opportunity to do something different, an opportunity that nobody else would have the balls to do. And, and Elon's like, yeah, we've got to do it. <laughs> so... Um, and, and hats off to taking that risk. And I think in a, in a, in what's been interesting is we've seen people that have not, that would never consider owning a pickup truck or, or, or wouldn't, you know, it's a pickup truck's just not something they need or it's not on their radar, be attracted to this because of the uniqueness. And I think that's actually really quite interesting that we've pulled from, you know, element, we've, we've pulled people away from their kind of, normal comfort, comfort zone, zone yeah. and and brought them to something that's just radically different and and and, a, and will be on the street radically different and you know if you're not used to attention it might be a little <laughs> tough in the beginning but <laughs> uh well i'm gonna I, i've got to ask because the community has asked this and and i myself have have wondered this uh cyber car is is the cyber is is this project uh, a one-off as it were is it self-contained or is this the manufacturing process the stainless steel like is is this the start of a new line could we see a cyber car from you possibly he's smirking right now <laughs> since this is an audio podcast you can't see it well i think you know we, we, we look at each vehicle um and try to extract the uniqueness out of what each vehicle is trying to represent yeah. and there's a lot of things about the stainless steel that just work for this kind of workhorse truck kind of community and environment. And so it just makes a lot of sense there. Yeah. Could you say the same thing about a, a sedan or something? Probably not, but, you know, it's not that we haven't thought about it. Is, uh, is the Cybertruck finished from a design perspective? I mean, it's, we're due to go into production yeah. in the next six months, so... Basically, yes. Yeah. So it's pencils down. I mean, you, we, we never really have a pencils down kind of thing. Yeah, we're going to get you know, to that we, with Model we, S. We work, you know, we work consistently through the entire process, to, and we're constantly working on every detail and you know the refinement of that. So, and we learn things through the the engineering phases and the manufacturing development phases that we can improve on, and so we do. Um, and so there's, we have you know teammates that are actively working to ensure that the. The, the phases and the development phases as we get into manufacturing that we're, you know, trying to scrutinize every millimeter of the of vehicle, make sure we, we've gotten it right. And 
If we didn't, we continue to work on it through production to improve it and constantly improve. And I think you see that on all of our products that where there's constant improvement. You that just refresh the model. The, refresh the Model S again since it was redesi- redesigned. Re- the new Model S has been refreshed twice already. Right. And we'll, we'll cover that here in a few minutes too because I actually really like the sort of simplification, the stuff you've yeah. done with that, particularly the back end yeah. of the Model S. Um, that this probably applies to the doors of the Cybertruck too. The prototypes got self-presenting door handles similar to the Model S. You've now gone to, well, no need, why, why cut the, why have to cut the, you know, exactly. simplify the process. Exactly. So are they, are they gonna function similar to the Model X front doors where it's gonna sense the key fob and pop open for you like the, yeah. you know, the, the invisible chauffeur? Yes. Yeah, front and, and the back doors as well? Or is Possibly there, in the is back. There a button for those. There's, the there's, there are there are also buttons on the pillar okay. and C pillar. Yeah, that's what it looked so. like on the later, the newer prototypes, and yeah. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, yoke prototypes got a yoke. You seem to like them, although you just offered the choice now on the yes. new S and X Cybertruck production yoke, yay or nay? I think or you know the the the, the yoke makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, once you experience it, it, it it's a, a great driving experience um, with, combined with autopilot. Yeah, it makes the whole kind of user experience in the interior cockpit uh, simpler and cleaner. Um, and so, yeah, we're looking at the the yoke there too. Are there features on the Cybertruck that we don't know about yet? I think there there are some features. Um, I'm not going to talk about them, but I think they'll be pleasant surprises, and I think they're they're the right things for the product, um, and they're the right kind of competitive things for the product as well. So, yeah, there's things that we're you know paying attention to, and we want to make sure that we bring um, a great amount of functionality, performance, you know, drive characteristics, all those things, and just usability yeah. um, to the truck, and realize that people use pickup trucks or trucks in general like swiss army knives you know it's not there's not one recipe for everybody you know everybody brings their own kind of thing to it and so we want to make sure that we were aware of that and that the truck can be tailored and tuned to your specific desires is uh is is vehicle to grid vehicle to home one of those features i won't comment but (laughs) what have you thought of uh the competition so far because you're in a in a it's somewhat new for you guys to not be first in an electric vehicle space. I mean, technically, the, the Model 3 officially wasn't the first, you know, right. mid-size EV right. sedan. But um, what, what do you think of what, what everybody else is doing so far? I mean, I think, it, well, it, first of all, it's great that there's a push um, for the other manufacturers to move into the EV space, right? And I think that's kind of our ultimate mission is to make yeah. sure that we and it's working. Help. Isn't that cool for you? Yeah, like it's to, to see, like, there's no way these electric pickup trucks would exist without Tesla. Yeah, exactly. There's no and way. I think I think that's you know that's testament to what we've been able to achieve so far. And I think it's we're moving the needle, and that's great. We that needs to happen for the environment, for you know the longevity of this planet, etc. Et there's all. All that mission is super important to us. So I think it's great that there's we, we're seeing, you know, other manufacturers out there, um, you know, doing this. I think the challenges are still, you know, competitively priced vehicles, um, and I think also, you know, having the utility and the range, uh, the usability, basically. Um, is is really challenging, and I think we're you know we're still leaders in a lot of those areas. So, 
I want to pivot now. You've, you've kindly humored my Cybertruck questions for almost <laughs> half an hour. Uh, we are in the Roadster conference room. There is a picture of the next yeah. generation Roadster that I'm staring at right now. It is behind you. I'm hoping you might be willing to talk about that car a little bit today because uh, it's been a while. Many of us are eagerly awaiting it. What is going on with that car right now? I mean, we're, in, we're developing the, the car. I think, um, you know, we, we, we have priorities as a company where, um, and the priorities are, you know, mass electrification and Roadster is not a mass product. Sure. So unfortunately, you know, it, it takes its kind of position, um, but we are working on it in earnest. And I think the time that we've taken has been a- enabled us to um, really improve on basically every metric what we set out to establish when we first debuted that. And I think if you can just kind of extrapolate the performance um, and the usability of a, a, a Plaid Model S, and you can imagine where that could go, then I think your imagination takes you to where we're headed as well um, in the capability and how much better the, the Roadster will be and the weight will be absolutely worth it. Um, uh, and if you, I mean, because if you think about a, a, a Plaid Model S basically hits all the metrics yeah, that we 1. said. 1.99 seconds. The Roadster could yeah. do, which seemed impossible for a car at that time. Right. Um, and so imagine, you, let your imagination run a little bit. <laughs> oh, and I you have. Can, I've you had can, years to do so. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, let's see. All right. I, I, I can tell, I can tell this, I'm going to have to wait on a lot of these Roadster questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I want—I mean, I got to figure it's going to have a four motors. Because the Cybertruck's got four. You, you, all the things you're talking about, of where, where you're letting, letting the imagination carry you. Can't give away any secrets. <laughs> um, so something you said to me in our last interview a couple of years ago, actually three years ago, that that stuck with me was that you said you work on the Model S every day. Feels like it, yes. And I know you're you're you drive. And, you know, back then, I think you know we hadn't done the the refresh that's out now. Yeah. Um, and so there was you know work leading up to to that, and you know we we still look at even though we've just done a refresh and it's you know a big improvement on the car, um, we're still looking at how do we continue to make it better. Uh, so then, tell me, what did you work on it yesterday? I did not work on it yesterday. But probably the day before. What'd you do? Uh, I can't tell you. Well, not specifics, <laughs> but like, what are, what are you looking? Like, what is it? Is it like, do you look at well, different one, interior I, things? Are you looking at exterior things? Like, what? Well, and also, also looking at the UI. UI is something yeah. that's ever evolving, and so we're working, you know, constantly on that. Um, so that technically counts. Um, so, Tesla owners, Tesla fans, had been really looking forward to seeing. A, a facelift for the for the Model S for a while before it actually hit uh, in twenty. I, I keep wanting to say last year, twenty twenty one. At this point, how long was that in the works? Like, how long were you working on that before we saw it? Um, I don't remember exactly how long. Um, it's something that we knew we wanted to do, and we also, you know, took the opportunity to improve, you know, manufacturability. Um, you know, service things and just make general improvements on it. So, you know, doing some some refresh like that with the interior and the exterior, um, it still takes, you know, a fair amount of time. We probably worked on it a year or so. 
that's uh, <clears throat> that's that's got to feel good when it finally hits, right? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just like launching another car. I mean, like the Model S is such a, in a way, it's like a timeless car, and it's so you, you, we wanted to be really specific about the improvements that we did um, to not take away from kind of the, the inherent beauty that the already exists in the car. Um, and you know, it's just being introduced into new markets now, so it's right. fresh for a lot of yeah, a European lot of markets, deliveries yeah, European started. deliveries in yeah. China and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's still emerging and still a brand new car to a lot of people. For me, widening the rear of the car makes a really subtle but important difference, especially when I if I. I mean, I live in the San Francisco area, so I get a chance to see lots of Model yeah. S's around. When you see them side by side, the the, the pre yeah the stance 2021 is car, just better. It's uh, it really just gives the car a more aggressive stance. Was that uh, more of an aesthetic choice or a performance choice driven by the plaid? You know, not that every new it was, Model S is plaid, it was performance, getting yeah. you know wider tires uh, into the rear for better uh, grip. And handling was something that we wanted to do, and and just as a result, we needed to get the the rear quarters wider. So again, I, we talked about it a, a minute ago. I want to get into a little more of the the new tweaks that you just rolled out publicly on the uh, the new S and the, to an extent and the X. new X as well. Uh, let's start with the new option for the round steering wheel. So. Are you responding to customer feedback there, or did something else inspire that decision? And, and the reason I ask that is because historically, uh, Tesla seems to prefer streamlining the configuration options as much as possible, because of course it simplifies manufacturing and allows you to just deliver more cars and get more EVs on the road. So I'm curious if you can speak to that a little bit. Um, I think it was just like making sure that we had the, you know, we had a car that people really loved, and if there was, it, it, if somebody was, you know, loved the car, but the yoke was in the way, we wanted to just remove that obstacle. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, you also cleaned up the the backs a little bit, the rears of the car, by getting rid of that T logo badge. I I was happy to see that because for me it was. Maybe a little too busy, but it really yeah, jumped that, out to me <clears throat> after the refresh when you had a chrome T logo and then the black, the glossy black yeah, Tesla I think, line, the I, line there. You know, in the early days, um, people didn't know who Tesla was, what a Tesla was, <clears throat> and what you know who who we were, and it was important to at least kind of spell it out to them. And so, putting the badging in that way, um, somewhat redundant on the rear, made sense because. They didn't know what a T was, like it could be yeah. anything. So I think now we're more established and we can have some better restraint on over-logoing our cars. Um, and that's just like an internal pet peeve of mine as well as, you know... Yeah, you're a minimalist, yeah, which I, I am too with you know, when you buy, the, buy. you buy the car and you don't need to see like 27 times that it's, that it's got, you know, Tesla all over in every nook and cranny. And I feel like... It's kind of a it's a detail that a lot of companies or designers use to just fill up some dead space and kind of overbrand the car. And I think you know once you own it, you know what you have, and you don't need to be reminded, you know, everywhere you look. I mean, with with the 2021 refresh, you got rid of even the Model S yeah. uh, word mark there yeah. on the on the trunk as well. So yeah. it's 
you know, you, you just, you know now. You don't need to spell, you don't need to literally spell it out exactly. for people anymore. Exactly, and I think, you know, it's just makes the car cleaner. I think aesthetically it, it looks better. Um, and yeah, like I said, you know, Cybertruck, has almost no badges. Right. I mean, Are there it, it, in, still in not itself, on the outside, right? In itself, it, it's its own badge, you know. Sure. Um, it's so unique, it doesn't really need one. So. I would imagine what the, the closest thing might be probably the, the door sill plate, maybe has the graffiti cyber truck. Yeah, not, I mean, that's its own thing. It's not yeah. a Tesla badge, right? So. <laughs> I love it. Um, what made you want to go with the, I'm sure you explored a ton of options, the capacitive touch buttons on the yoke? And, and now the new steering wheel on the new SNX. That's, that's something where, at least at what I see in the Tesla community, the feedback's a little more mixed. So I'm sure you tried a lot of things. Can you kind of speak to Yeah, I think it was just a, a cleaner um, solution. And you know, w- when they work, they work well. Um, and I think you know, the mechanical switches can feel clunky. There's gaps. They gaps fill up with grime and gunk, and they just like, they, it can feel old over time and we want you know we always want to be pushing and feeling like you're even though you've owned the car for three five seven ten years whatever it is that it still feels modern and fresh and as as you know hardware fresh and modern as when you bought it and i think that's where we saw that going how about uh i want to ask a question that i i don't pretend to understand and that's drag coefficients i mean i know lowers better you want to be more aerodynamic How'd you drop the drag coefficient on the, the refreshed S by so much when, when, the, when it's still generally the same shape of the body? Is it all kind of in that lower air dam up front? And There's, I mean, I know it's probably we, a lot we, of little things. We, we have aerodynamicists in the building on our team. We work with them all day, every day. Almost they're, they're as involved in the design process as the designers themselves. Um, and I think when you have that, knowledge and the ability to you know we've done a really good job of correlating wind tunnel with um with the the software programs that we use and i think when you when you have that kind of daily interaction and we're moving you know tens of millimeters around the influence of those movements may not be that visible to the naked eye but they can have a huge impact on the wind and so we just try to take advantage of that and so it's just and you know it's a process it's a it's not a let's do that and suddenly you get you know 10 counts reduction it's it's a process of you know winnowing and working and refining and tweaking and and i think having that you know hourly daily conversation with the with the team makes ultimately makes that impact and so we worked all over the car it's not just in the things you can see there's areas that you can't see underneath the car we cleaned up um and you know, even the car, the even though the the CDA, the frontal area of the car is bigger because it's wider, uh, we were able to reduce the overall drag and just get better at that uh, process as well. And it's, it's. I feel like it's one of the. I always say it's like one of the arrows in our quiver that we have as designers um, uh, to be able to improve the overall efficiency of the car through you know really intelligent design and intelligent aerodynamic design. And I think we're fortunate to have a really great team that we do interact with consistently. And we basically, it's almost a requirement that they're part of the process. Um, they're in, as involved, like I said, as the designers. Yeah. How many times would you say that the Model S specifically has been more or less completely redesigned under the skin? 
Because it feels like just as somebody that follows Tesla really closely, it's got to be at least two or three times, right? That, that really the, the whole, everything that you can't see has been... Yeah, it's kind of a blur. I mean, there have been a couple of drivetrain Yeah, there's constant like, improvements um, through, the, through the years. Like we've improved seats over time. Um, that, uh, yeah, there's, I, I don't know. I don't, it's probably more than that. I would. In fact, I, I don't just, think I don't like uh, if you tried to bucket it that way. But if you looked at just the improvements sing, in kind of a singular process, it yeah. feels like it's consistently been evolving and getting better. Well, I, I actually did want to ask you about the seats next because those have come a long way yeah. since the original Model S in 2012. I, by my count, there have been at least four seat revisions. I've had the pleasure Probably of, right. of yeah. sitting in all of them along the way. Are you happy with the seats in all four of the? the cars now and if not what do you want to do with them moving forward i think the seats in the cars now are really great um that they i think they're the best that they've ever been um you know we could we're always working on comfort and um you know improving the overall ride dynamics of the cars and the seats are your kind of first you know feel of what the ride dynamic is so um yeah you know i think that's also a, a a process that we go through um, and that we've continued to try to perfect and the team has gotten better and better and you know we'll always be trying to evolve seating and making that better um, because that's as we move into this kind of autonomous era the seat is, is is now one of the most important elements of the interior of the car and you you know you're not the 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 need for the seat kind of changes between yeah. whether you're driving and spirited driving or you're just a passenger and um, so that evolution has been, you know, entertaining and fun. Well, I, I did want to ask you about that. Like, how, how does the prospect of full autonomy change the way you think? I mean, don't you kind of get to totally rewrite the rules of at least interior design and probably exterior to some extent? Yeah, I think theoretically, yes. Like, you, you know, we, we're, we're cognizant of how people interact in the cars and if they're like a short distance or a long distance, um, what they're doing in the car or, or like what, what do you do when you are in an Uber or Lyft and, and you're, you're, you're not having to pay attention anymore, yeah. how you're passing your time. And um, you know, th- I, those aren't necessarily great examples because the rear seats of a lot of those cars are not super comfortable. Um, but, you know, I think this is an opportunity to really improve and, and the, the, the luxury is that you are giving back time you know, and at the time is the most luxurious thing that we have, you know, the most precious thing that we have. And if you can, if we can give that back and you can be productive or doing something different than concentrating on, you know, the mundane task of getting from A to B, then, you know, that's the most important thing. And we want to make sure that that's done comfortably and safely. And, um, you know, comfort inside a car is, comes down to like the seat and the, you know, the accoutrement that's around. Uh, can we talk about paint colors for a second? Because European customers now on their Model Ys have access to Quicksilver, which from the pictures looks gorgeous, and Midnight Cherry Red uh, looks incredible as well. Um, I, I'm guessing you have a lot of say, and perhaps all of the say, and the final say in in those paint color choices as they're developed and, and finally... We developed improved. all the colors here um, with the team, and we... We evolve them, and we do all the testing and kind of the the development. Um, I, ultimately, Elon has the final say. <laughs> so, I guess maybe I'm second in that, <laughs> in that chain. But you know, um, 
as as any thing that we design, there's we're always trying to make the the best we can in the in the moment, um, and then if we can improve it, then we will. Um, and those both those colors are you know so pretty in person, um, tough to capture how you know really amazing those colors are um, until you see them in person. Well, uh, we've. You've had the same five for North America, certainly, for several years now. Um, Will the other factories and thus other vehicles either get paint shop upgrades to also get Quicksilver and Red Nitrate Red, or or can we, I guess the bottom line is, are we we due for some new paint colors here in this country? Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you get to, you're you're in charge of that. Um, Yeah, wait and see. I imagine the the Roadster is going to have its own unique set of paint colors. Is that fair too? I think the Roadster the, there's an opportunity for the Roadster to to be unique, but we haven't determined that 100 percent yet. So. Fair enough. Um, the Model Three and Model Y, the three I, I adore my Model Three performance. I've had it for four and a half years now. Uh, there. It's really, compared to the Model S, it hasn't changed quite as much, or nearly as much, I would say, to the end user. I mean, you know, you've done stuff like the, you know, the engineering on, uh, on the octo valve. There have been some under-the-skin things. But uh, now that you're, you know, minimal, minimalization is, is such a big thing for you, should we expect the stalks to get deleted on the 3 and the Y uh, sooner or later? I mean, I think there's <clears throat> there's things that we're always looking at, um, and so, you know, I think that those vehicles are great at what they are, um, and I think, yeah, like we, we haven't seen a need or a demand for uh, a, a change, so don't don't fix it if it isn't broke. You know, that's yeah. kind of the mentality. That makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, I I uh, did a little poll on through my podcast. And you know, you look at the three and, and, and the Y as well on the road and they're still, you know, like... Yeah, they look great. They, they're super modern feeling. They're, they, they, they're... There's no, like... <clears throat> why, why change? Why, why, why spoil that? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, what does it mean to you that the Model Y, a car you designed, is now on its way and... Probably inevitably, maybe this year, maybe next year, is going to be the best-selling passenger vehicle in the entire world. Like, does that? Do you ever think about that? Honestly, or things like that. Honestly, no. And it's pretty amazing. And it kind of is just like hitting me as you say it. Um, you know, I think it's any any designer, anybody working, any engineer, you know, wants to see the success of of. Of their labor, and I think you know, it's been amazing to see that we've created something that you know people want to purchase and want to use, and is making a really positive impact in transportation. Um, and I think that you know the most rewarding part is just seeing how people love love their vehicle, the thing that you know that they put their hard earned cash into, and yeah. And that they're having, you know, a great experience with it, and that—that's the most rewarding part. You know, whether it's one person or millions, um, millions is always great. But 
you know, as long as people are loving it, then I think that's the most important part. I mean, are you, at this point, are you pretty numb to just seeing other Teslas on the road? Or yeah. does it still, like, does here, it still here, give you a little... Uh, here a little... in L.A., it's, you know, there, <laughs> there's quite a few of them. Um, but I always see, you know, there's opportunity and room for more. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a small percentage of the overall vehicles that are on the road that are EVs in general. Um, and so it's a huge opportunity that we have to go out and, and convert more customers and continue to prove to them that an EV is a better better solution, better overall ownership experience, better driving experience, and you know, far safer than yeah. um, any other car out on the road. Yeah, and, I think you know. I always tell you know, like we we I have a family with kids, and I. I shudder to think of putting my kids in any other car because it's less safe you know right and if you want to do the right thing for your family and have like the lowest probability of injury then you have to put them in a tesla yeah uh, there was a there was a horrific accident in northern california that you may have heard about recently and, and that i talked about it on my podcast last week it's just my wife and my wife shopping for a new car to replace her 18 year old mini cooper and Model 3 has always been the front runner, but oh, well, you know, maybe we'll take a look at a couple other EVs that, and it's just that, that story erased any consideration of anything else. Yeah, I mean, even when somebody wasn't looking out for their family, Tesla was, you know, right. it's a way to, that's a hell way of a way to, to put it. Think about it. Yeah. Wow. Um, in our first interview, you told me that Tesla doesn't have a design language per se. Uh, that every that, you know that every car has to <coughs> adhere to, like it's got to have this kind of front end or, or what have you. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you you guys have uh, a Shanghai and Berlin design centers that that you've spun up. What's your relationship with them? Are you pretty hands on with what those yeah, teams we're are up like, to? Or? We're, we're they're they're basically part of our team. It's a, like a global team, and ultimately we'd like to see um, the evolution of those, you know markets and the designers and the teams working there to you know basically work on localized um, products we're just not at that space yet but it's it's like uh, an expansion of our team so one the, the plan is still someday for them to design their own cars ultimately I think that that's the the ultimate goal yeah and yeah. I think you know um, a, a, every designer and engineer wants to work on something you know specific to you know, not not just get handed stuff to right. finish. You know, right. and, um, so I think we want to take advantage of that, and and you know, I think there's opportunity in those markets for some localization, and you know, we want to be prepared for that. Uh, recently, you talked about wanting to shorten the time from design to production. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, like, what what would doing that take, and and what are the challenges that you've run into specifically at Tesla that would need to be overcome for that? Like. For instance, the Model 3, from at least what we could see publicly, seemed to get to production pretty quickly, whereas <coughs> the Roadster, which you've already covered, it's, you know, it's a more of a priority thing, has not. So can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're always pushing to accelerate. The, the most important thing we can do is to have um, our, our, our products available to the public. That's the way that you change, you know, you make a change and you adhere to the mission. So it just behooves us to go as fast as possible to deliver the ideas. Um, and you know, each project, each program has its own unique hurdles and issues and design things. And we're always looking to improve the process in general. 
and each we learn from each one to try to get better on the next. Um, and the you know the volume products are the ones that make the biggest impact, and those are the ones we focus on the most. So I think it's just the relationships that we have between the different. Um, teams, yeah. and we really try to blur those lines. So you know, what, what have you, I have to imagine that, I mean, you were already a seasoned, well-established car designer before you got to Tesla, but you guys are rewriting a lot of rules here. How has your skill set grown? Like, can you kind of talk broadly about how... I hope about it's grown. You, well, about, like, about, <laughs> about non-design things, maybe, yeah. like, you know, sort of the... Expanding your expanding your your knowledge base would probably be the best way to put that. Yeah, I think you know we're our, myself and our team are are you know consistently in the factories. We're in you know working hand to hand with engineers. We're just involved in the project from the beginning to the end and then beyond. You know, there, the, actually there is no end. You know, we keep we keep, we keep iterating and, and trying to improve. Um, and I think that's like. Ultimately, the the biggest thing that I think that we that we do that maybe is unique to what I recall from the past and different companies, um, and I think you know those lack of barriers and lack of like a middle management kind of bureaucracy yeah. has been huge, to enable huge enabler, um, and the decision process is you know sometimes defined by speed, like when in doubt there is no doubt kind of a thing. You just got to go. So. Yeah. Um, helps formulate, you know, have a good idea and go with it um, and execute. As a, just as a thought exercise, if you could go back and start the Model 3 over, was there, or what would you change, if anything? What would I change on the Model 3? I don't know. It's, a, it's such a good car. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I, driving in this morning was driving, you know, next one. I drive, I have VIN 10. I drive my car you know regularly and it's still a great car it's just a real well drive version and uh, it's you know stood up over the test of time and and it's a great car um it's hard to imagine what i would change on it yeah i mean i probably would say the same thing after owning it for yeah. a while it's, you know and it's, it's, really... it's kind of really hit a sweet spot and i think it's still a great car um and the improvements that we've been trying to do to make it you know dynamically better, drive better, you know, better um, sound levels in the interior, better seats. All those things are just like constant improvements and refinements. We hear, we get feedback. We try to, you know, iterate and improve on those. So um, I don't, there's not like anything huge that stands out at me that we would try to improve. Is there a, the Model Y has a has a plan in place to move to the structural <coughs> battery pack, the 4680 sure. battery cells that's already happening in Texas. We've not heard anything about that with regard to the Model 3, but it remains a high-volume, awesome car. have to imagine that at some point along the way, that's going to happen for manufacturing simplicity and yeah, we'll other it. benefits. <laughs> <laughs> i got to try, right? i got to try. You know, if there were theoretically a Project Highland, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk about forward things. So. Fair enough. Um, I will close with uh, with this question, and that is, you know, you've still got a lot of career ahead of you. You're still a young man. You've been at Tesla for a while. You've been in the industry for a while, but there, you got you got plenty of daylight ahead of you. But have you? Th- what do you hope your legacy is someday when you're when you're looked back on? 
Good question. I never actually took the time to think about it. I think you know the things that we're we're working on currently, and the thing the the ideas into the future. You know, I think autonomy is going to radically reshape the way that we move ourselves around, and that transport you know tra- transportation in general. Um, and I think being kind of on the 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 tip of that change is super exciting to me. And um, you know, maybe what we do at Tesla becomes kind of a, a gold standard for what the future of transportation is like. I think that would be pretty awesome. And I think we're poised to be able to do that. So I think that's, that's, that keeps me excited. And, and you know, it's like, and it's somewhat of an unknown. You know, nobody's really gotten there yet and had a recipe or, or figured out how people really want to, you know, be chauffeured around um, in their own kind of private space. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there, and I look forward to being part of that process. All right, I lied. I guess I'll ask one more question. That is, you said you didn't work on the mo- you worked on the Model S maybe a day or two ago. Yeah. What you, which which car are you working on today? You don't have to tell me exactly what, obviously, but probably. Well, what's today's know. focus? Today, after this, it, it's been all over the map. Probably touched on just about everything today, and then some. Oh, and then some. That's. That's a good answer. Franz von Holzhausen, thank you very much. Your uh, second appearance here on Ride the Lightning. I really, truly appreciate the invitation and the time. Yeah, happy to, happy to join. Again, a massive thank you goes out to Franz and his team for setting that up. I recognize that is an extremely special opportunity. I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. And I'm just so, so grateful to have had the chance to go down and do that interview. I really hope all of you enjoyed listening to it. And hopefully at some point, Franz will want to come back on and talk even more Roadster once he's ready to really, really dig in and talk about that car. Uh, Normally, I would end the podcast there. Because, A, it's been about an hour, and that's about how long the podcast is each week. And also, this was an extremely special episode, and there was a Franz interview. There's nothing else that needs to be said. That's it. That's the big news of the week. Except this week. The day after my interview with Franz, Tesla slashed their prices across the board. And I want to talk about it a little bit, because obviously you'll all want to hear about this. Those of you who've been waiting to purchase a Tesla, saving up. This is very relevant to your interests. Here we go. Here are the details. The base Model 3 went from, and I'm going to round up here because all these prices are 990 is what they end with. I'm just going to round up. Base Model 3 was 47,000. It is now 44,000. The Model 3 performance was at 63,000. It is now 54,000. The Model Y Long Range, the vehicle that is on track, you heard me talk about it with Franz, on track to become the best-selling passenger vehicle on Earth, whether that happens this year or next year. And this price drop that you're about to hear, if you haven't heard about this already, because, boy, this this was uh, talked about everywhere as soon as it happened, it, it could help spur this to become the top-selling vehicle in the world this year. Because the Model Y dual motor long range went from $66,000 to $53,000. The Model Y performance from $70,000 to 
to 57,000, also a notable drop. Even the Model S and Model X saw price cuts as well. The base uh, long range Model S went from 105 to 95. The Model S Plaid, a $20,000 price cut from 136,000 to 115,000, 21,000. The Model X long range from 121 to 110, and the Model X Plaid from 139 to 120. Now, the key to this, not literally the biggest price cut out of all those, but arguably the most important one, is that Model Y dual motor long range. It now qualifies for the full $7,500 federal tax credit by virtue of it now being under the $55,000 MSRP cap that the U.S. government allows on a car. Because as you remember from when this first came up on a very recent episode of this podcast, for some reason, the five-seater Model Y is not considered an SUV in this, uh, in this new tax credit setup, but the seven-seater Model Y is. So that means that not only is this Model Y long range $13,000 cheaper for everyone, but if you also meet the income requirements for the new tax credit, you can have a 330 mile range Model Y that includes basic autopilot for that price for in the end, aside from taxes and registration fees, of course, $45,500. That is incredible. And that to me is simply put, it's game over for any other midsize crossover SUV, which only happens to be the largest vehicle segment, at least in, in North America, in the United States, probably Canada's in there too. I think we can, we can probably lump all of North America in there. You know, that is the, the, the crossover SUV is a massive vehicle category in this country. And 45.5, if you qualify for the credit, why would you buy anything else, gas or electric? Now, we're rooting for all the other EVs too. We need more good EVs at more affordable prices, but this is Tesla leveraging their advantages. What do I mean by that? Well, they vertically integrate their batteries. So they are able, they're able to produce their batteries for a lower cost than any of their competition who for the time being has to purchase them from a supplier, whether it's LG, whether it's Panasonic, etc., or Samsung. So that is huge. The, you know, the, the battery is the most expensive component of any electric vehicle at this point in time. And Tesla making its own batteries, which they've been doing now for since what, around eh, 2017 or so when Giga Nevada opened up in re outside of Reno. It's just a, it's a huge competitive advantage that Tesla is now leveraging. And so it, it's just awesome to see this come down. Now, I'll be honest here. This price, this new price is really just back to what the Model Y probably should be priced at. It had gotten crazy expensive over the past 18 to 24 months. I got really tired of having to do podcasts where I announced another $1,000 price increase on the Model Y because there were a number of those podcasts. For those of you that have been listening over the last couple of years, 
it just kept happening. And so to see all of almost all of that price increase over the last couple of years wiped away in one fell swoop is just incredible. I mean, it's great to see in the end. Now, I realize it it's not necessarily great to see for those of you, uh, and, and this likely affects a number of you listening, who took delivery of a long-range dual-motor Model Y in the past month or two. It probably really hurts to hear this. I mean, you still got a great car, and I think you'd probably still agree with that. I hope. I hope you're liking your car. But obviously... It's the one-two punch of not just the huge price drop, but also the tax credit eligibility on top of that that turns this into, again, potentially a $20,000 swing, which is, which is just wild. Now, I, I got to be honest. I'm not sure there was any good, quote-unquote, good way for Tesla to have done this. I mean... The, the only thing that comes to mind is maybe doing gradual decreases over time. But if they had done that, that I would suspect would run the risk of really slowing demand way down because after the second or third gradual decrease, you'd start to train people to just wait for the next decrease before ordering. Now, Tesla could do something nice to something uh, for recent buyers. You could offer those people a service credit, a merchandise credit for the online Tesla shop, free enhanced autopilot, something. There is, I'd like to see Tesla do something for those people that were affected. Now, I understand that the reverse argument is, is a fair one. Well, for when Tesla increased prices, you got really excited if you had just ordered your car and you got in before the price increase. And you're not exactly in any hurry to cut Tesla a check to make up the difference when the price goes up. So I know it does cut both ways, but just the, the fact that this was so huge of a decrease all at once I, I empathize with those of you out there who took delivery recently and are and are stinging a little bit right now. But at least, again, at least the car that you got is the same awesome vehicle today as it was when you ordered it. Also, I want to talk about the Model 3. So the base Model 3 and the performance Model 3 also qualify for the full $7,500 uh, tax credit at least until March, which is when the government is expected to define the specific criteria around the tax credit, uh, with which half of that is supposed to be focused on where the battery content was sourced. And the base Model 3 is uses the LFP battery pack, which comes from China. So that is likely in March to disqualify the base Model 3 from at least half of the credits. So if you're in the market for that car, you might want to move now if you can with one big consideration that I want to make sure you're fully aware of before you click order. I will come back to that in just a second because first I just want to talk about the dual motor long range Model 3, which has been unavailable to order for a few months now. So whenever that vehicle comes back, it should also qualify for the full 7,500. 
and it should do, do so even after March, since that car uses Giga Nevada sourced batteries. Uh, and, I, and I figure price-wise for that, the, the dual motor long range, with the base version now at 44,000 and the performance at 53,000, I think it's fair to expect, expect the long range to basically just split the difference. I think it's going to be forty-eight dollars or $49,000 when it returns. We'll just have to wait and see whenever Tesla decides to put it back up on the design studio. And then finally, before I come back to my big word of caution, the performance Model Y does not qualify for the new tax credit since that vehicle is only available in a five-seat configuration and its MSRP is over the car limit of $55,000 of an MSRP. So my only word of caution here, if you're, if you're itching to buy right now with these price drops, I just want to mention one thing, and that is Autopilot Hardware 4. Now, yes, it's true. We've seen it <laughs> over the years. If you sit around and wait for the next upgrade on a Tesla, you'll be waiting forever and you'll never order a car because there's always some new component, some new piece of tech, some new feature that gets added into the car because Tesla doesn't subscribe to traditional model years. They're always upgrading the cars. They're always rolling new things into them. So yes, there's that. But hardware four, I think, is the exception to that rule, at least in my book, because as I've said before, I don't expect there to be an upgrade path to hardware four for the cars, the hardware three cars that are in our garages now. I hope I'm wrong about that. I would be delighted to be wrong about that. But for now, I think we just have to expect that there will be no upgrade path and just be pleasantly surprised if it turns out there is. In fact, my wife and I once again discussed buying her a Model 3, uh, which we first really got serious about considering it last summer. She went and took a test drive, and we considered it again at the end of December when Tesla was offering that $7,500 discount straight off the top, as well as the bonus little extra of 10,000 free supercharging miles. But we have decided, we talked about it last night when the price cuts hit, we're going to hold off. Unless her 2005 Mini Cooper straight up dies, which we acknowledge could happen, we're going to wait for the Cybertruck, and then I think we're going to go with that. But the base Model 3 is now $3,000 less than it was last month, so I'm glad we didn't pull the trigger at that time. And just getting back to today, focusing on now, $36,500 after the tax credit for the base Model 3. 36.5, and you are getting, for that price, a lot of car for the money. A great, great car for the money, in my opinion. It is a 272-mile range car that has 272 miles of daily usable range thanks to that LFP battery pack that is designed to be charged, charged all the way up to 100% each day. And again, you are getting basic autopilot included for that as well. So that's a great deal in my opinion. And I hope that lets a lot more people 
get one for themselves. Hopefully plenty of you out there are eagerly and excitedly ordering your car right now. One other thing on this topic, it's sort of a footnote to the whole thing. Interestingly enough, Midnight Silver Metallic paint color is no longer free. It had been free for the past eh, couple of years or so, but it's back to being a $1,000 upcharge if you'd like that color. Pearl White Multicoat remains free. You don't have to pay any extra for it. And it is now, once again, the only free paint color. And uh, you heard me bring it up with Franz. I hope we get at least one new paint color choice this year here in the United States, even if it comes at a premium, like Quicksilver's a premium, Midnight Cherry Red. Those are extra cost paint finishes for those of you in Europe who get to order your Model Y from Giga Berlin. Hopefully we get something similar here in the United States as well. All right. Next week, we'll get back to a regular show, go through all the week's Tesla news, analyze it, break it down, etc. I'll get to your phone calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline. So I'll just mention, if you would like to call in and potentially be heard here on the podcast, perhaps you want to react to something that Franz said in my interview, I welcome you, I encourage you to call in on the Ride the Lightning hotline. There are two easy ways to do that. You can either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question. I humbly ask that you keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many callers each week as possible. And then you email that file to me at my show email address, which is teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or the other way that you can call in to the Ride the Lightning hotline and potentially be featured here on the show is to actually call in and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline itself. It's a toll-free number that you can call anytime, and the number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA, and I will look forward to hearing from you. And that'll wrap it up for this very, very, very special episode of Ride the Lightning. Again, I've, I've been on cloud nine all week. This was such an incredible opportunity, and I had a blast interviewing Franz. I really hope you all enjoyed listening to it. If you are a new listener, again, uh, episode 200 with Elon, episode 220 with Franz the first time. This podcast publishes every single Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. It is published every Sunday like clockwork since I started it back in August of 2015. So I am here for you each and every Sunday talking about all things Tesla. So I hope maybe you'll you'll come back if you enjoyed this one. Maybe you'll come back and uh, see what the regular episodes are all about next week. I'm on all the major podcast services. If you want to subscribe or follow, it's every podcast service kind of calls it something else. It's free. I, I subscribe. It's a free thing. You know, most people seem to get the podcast on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. There's also, I'm on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, and Spotify. I'm on those, and those are available natively in your Tesla, so you can listen to me directly in your car there as well. I am also on YouTube, but it's there's no video. It's just an audio-only podcast. This is not my day job, so I, I just don't have the time or resources to to do video on top of things as well. But if you just want to have a a browser tab open and you prefer to listen on YouTube, 
Just search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube and you should find my channel pretty easily. You can subscribe to it there and just listen that way every week. So last thing I'll mention is that you can email me anytime, teslapodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram if you'd like to follow me on either of those social media platforms. My handle is the same on both. It's DMC underscore Ryan. And if you're curious what the DMC means, it's DeLorean Motor Company. I had a DeLorean uh, in, a, in a previous life, a very, very wonderful period of time. I guess you, you already figured that out from listening to the Franz interview. The story of how I got into Tesla is episode one. If you want to hear my, my Tesla origin story, I talk about it there. Anyway, that'll do it for Ride the Lightning episode 389. I will see you back here again next Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. Happy electric motoring. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.